Whether it is a made-for-prime-time TV movie or the title of a paperback novel, underline the word apocalypse, and it conjures up images of war, devastation, and death. Ask the average person what apocalypse means, and you'll get these types of definitions. But this is not at all what the word actually means. I'm Mary Wurtson, and this is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you discover for yourself what Jesus Christ has to say in His Word. Jesus titled the last book of His inspired teachings, The Apocalypse. Some preachers are even afraid to teach this book. They buy into the idea that it only generates fear and dread. But this is a book that promises a special blessing to us if we read it and we heed it. So let's join my husband, Dave Wurtson, and our Truth Encounter Bible Study leader to discover what apocalypse actually does mean. You mention the word apocalypse, and you think of the, the horrors of battle. You think of the, of the horrors of what modern warfare can do. It's also used, just the phrase, the apocalypse, is used by Hollywood to get you all hyped up with a horror flick as the meteors are coming and they're going to devastate our planet. In the modern jargon, the idea of an apocalypse stands for some kind of, an, of a chaotic, explosive, devastating, destructive, deadly problem that, that you encounter. It pictures somehow we're going to get to the end of the world and the whole thing might go up in smoke. Revelation, apocalypse, conjures up fear. It conjures up images of weird kind of symbols and how could anybody understand it. And yet the word apocalypse, the word apocalypse doesn't mean crisis and chaotic death. The word apocalypse is a Greek word that means the revelation. It means the disclosure. The word revelation is the unveiling, the disclosure of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not very far from any one of us. You see, in Acts 17, for example, when the Apostle Paul was speaking to a bunch of intellectuals up on Mars Hill, he was trying to think through how he could reach them. And maybe sometimes you feel when the high school students are in, in high school with a bunch of their friends, and maybe you feel when you're working at your job, as you're working with men and women, and they're living in their secular world, and they're just existing, you can feel like, man, Jesus Christ is a million miles away from this situation. And Paul, I'm sure, felt like that when he was on Mars Hill. But the Apostle Paul knew an incredible reality. He knew that Jesus Christ, God, wasn't far from any one of us. And in fact, he told that crowd, he said that you worship the unknown God. I'm going to tell you what his name is. And I want you to realize that you might think that God is real far away. But in him, you move and live and have your being. And he's really right here. And I believe that he's here in the book of Revelation. Yes, this book is going to have meteors that come from outer space. And this book is going to have the Antichrist rise up out of the seething cauldron of the nations that are fighting one another. Yes, it's going to talk to us about the culmination of time, the ultimate world war. World war, whatever number it's going to be, but it's going to be the final battle, the final conflict. This book is going to scare you-know-what out of us, and it should. This book is going to tell us the tremendous conflict that's going on between the ultimate righteous one, Jesus, and the ultimate evil one, Satan. And it's going to tell us how it all ends up. 
But I want you to know is that we go through trumpets and bowls and seals and we try to wrestle with symbols and try to help you to understand it, that ultimately this book is the unveiling. It's a disclosure of Jesus Christ. He's in your heart. He lives in your life. And if you don't know him, I want you to, to have him disclosed to you. I want this Jesus to unveil himself to us. Because as we go out the next several months, we're going to face death. We're going to face sickness. We might face persecution. Do you know that you live in the day of the worst persecution that's ever been mounted against born-again believers, believers that know Jesus? And so the book of Revelation is very precious to us and to them because this book was written to believers that were in the jaws of a political government that was saying you can't worship Jesus as the king. You can't stand up and acknowledge him as the Lord. You see, we take that for granted. We just do it. In fact, it's just kind of the thing that we do. John wrote to churches just like ours, who when they did that, the next Sunday, some of their number were imprisoned. John himself ended up in exile. Now, how do you live when you're going through the jaws of that kind of persecution? How do you live when your families are threatened? How do you live when, when you don't know when death might come upon you? The book of Revelation answers that question. And if it answers that big question, how do you live when you're faced with the ultimate kind of persecution? Then maybe it can teach us how to live when we face some of our little tribulations and some of our little pressures that we face every single day. In fact, I want you to get really excited about this book. You know why? Because this is the last book of the Bible. God has a blockbuster that he's written to us. It's the Bible. And no matter what your unbelieving friends might think, they're really on the winning side. In fact, you know, your author, the ultimate author that you worship, he's written the biggest bestseller of all time. Sam Moore, a friend of mine, was just selling books as a kid on the streets of Tennessee and different parts of the country. He started a company and, and he was selling this blockbuster. He's now the Thomas Nelson Book Company that, that builds gigantic buildings in Nashville, Tennessee. How did he do it? Selling this book. I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that the Bible is the biggest bestseller of all time. And as we come to the book of Revelation, this is the last book in God's blockbuster. This is the last shot of canonical, inspired revelation that becomes the authority. Now, God's Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to us this morning, and God's Holy Spirit is going to be giving you direction for your life. But there's a time in history where God chose to raise up apostles to give us the foundational, definitive word that we can build our eternal life on. And revelation happens to be at the very end of that blockbuster. That's why we need to study it. And the way I want you to think of it, you say, well, Dave, when I begin to read it, there's a lot of things I don't understand. Some of the reason you don't understand it is it's like you jumped into the Mississippi right near New Orleans. And the Mississippi is a gigantic river there, and it's getting ready to flow into the Gulf of Mexico, and it's this gigantic, massive river. But what you don't realize is the Mississippi started way up in the northern part of our country, and there it was just a little stream that's just beginning to trickle over the rocks. And what you have in the book of Revelation is that way back in Genesis, God began trickling his stream of revelation across the rocks. God began giving you little hints, like in Genesis 3, about the mighty warrior that would come and would crush the serpent's head. And you come through the book of Genesis and you have all kinds of little streams that begin to come in. Some of the big streams that begin to contribute to the flow of God's revelation are the prophets. Prophets like Ezekiel. Prophets like Daniel. 
And part of the problem that we have is that for us, Ezekiel is a tough book, right? How many of you have your favorite book in the Bible is Ezekiel, right? No, it's another one of those, the begat section. You know, let's skip over there and get, get to the Gospel of John. And that's why it's hard to understand the book of Revelation, because whether it's Zechariah, another strange prophet from the Old Testament, or whether it's Ezekiel, or whether it's Daniel, those are the fountainheads. Those are the, the tributaries that all feed in. And what Revelation is, it's when all these streams come together and John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, grabs from all of these streams. And in order to understand it, we need to have someone help us to go back through and pick up so we can understand all those little tributaries and their contribution. That's what the Lord wants me to help you to do. I want to be your servant. You know, I want to help you kind of bring together those things, and I want you to relax. I want you to understand that you can understand this book. This book is going to comfort you. It's going to, it's going to warn you. It's going to thrill you. It's going to make you want to shout for joy. It's one of the greatest books you can ever read. And one of the reasons we need to study it is, man, you need to know how everything all ends up. You need to know that as we have a world force with the United Nations that begin to develop and we want to get instant strike capabilities, you need to know as you go out into the business world this week and the, the International Monetary Fund begins shooting billions of dollars literally around the world for the first time you live in a world economy. You need to know where is this all going to end as this planet Earth goes sailing through space? Where is it all going to end up? And you're going to hear all kinds of voices. You're going to hear all kinds of voices. Voices of pessimism. Voices of optimism. Voices saying that we can bring in a new millennium. And we can bring on on heaven on earth. And we need to get organized. And there's going to be tremendous push towards world government. This book is going to warn you about something. What about the problem of evil? What about that old, old statement way back in the back of our minds? That power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. What about that statement? You know, will all of our organization and all of our international planning and all of our international corporations, are all this big one world thing, are they going to be able to deal with the biggest enemy that you have? Which is the darkness in our soul and the the terrible violence and immorality and lying and deception that keeps blowing up on planet Earth? Who's going to deal with that? That's a big question. What about the problem of evil? Who's going to deal with that? The book of Revelation answers that question. Begins with a title of the book. So let's begin there. That's always a good place to begin. Open your Bibles to the very first verse. And we begin in the book of Revelation with the title of the book. Very simple title. We've been talking about it already. It begins the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is the word apocalypse. And I want you from here on out, whenever you hear the word apocalypse, instead of being scared out of your willies, I want you to think that's a disclosure of my Savior. That's the unveiling of my Savior. John begins his book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling. This is the disclosure. This is the revelation of who Jesus is. And there's two things in this title. One is the idea that this unveiling, this disclosure, is going to reveal who Jesus is. We go through this book. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, who is the Savior? Some of you are, that are, are beginning to work through your life and you maybe you believed in Jesus all your life, you're kind of taught to do that. But now you're beginning to wonder. You're beginning to scratch your head and say, how do I know that Jesus is the truth? In other words, I go out into a world that lines Jesus up 
with Buddha, Confucius, the founders of Hinduism, you know, different modern-day philosophers, Socrates, ancient philosopher. Uh, Jesus is lined up among many of them. The popular belief is that Jesus just lines up with many of them. That's a good question. How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know where Jesus lines up with all these great religious founders? The very popular modern progressive idea is that Jesus was one of those great enlightened ones who kind of give us insight to the vague whatever might be out there. And that's what a lot of your friends believe. That's what maybe some of you are moving towards believing. You need to read this book carefully. Because this book is going to disclose to you who Jesus is. And you're going to find out that Jesus Christ doesn't take his place in line alongside anybody. Jesus Christ in this book is going to reveal himself, going to disclose himself as someone who's moving throughout our church. He's the Lord of our church this morning. He was moving through the Church of Asia, minor, in about the middle of the 90s, about 95 A.D., when John was writing. And Jesus Christ was alive and well in Asia Minor, moving with his presence through the churches of Asia Minor. And he was evaluating them. We're going to go through that evaluation in chapter 2 and 3. We're going to let Jesus unveil himself and disclose to us how he feels about the church. Then we're going to get a picture on who Jesus is in heaven. We're going to have a great, great vision of what it's like to be up in heaven and what it's like to go to a worship service in heaven. That's what chapter 4 and 5 is about. We're going to go to a worship service in heaven. But as we're at that worship service in heaven, we're going to find out who's the center of attention, who's the star of the heavenly praise. And it's going to focus on revealing who Jesus Christ is. We're also, after chapter 4 and 5, then we're going to go out on the pages of history. And we're going to have to evaluate it. They're talking about a history that's yet to come. Have they talked about a history in the past? And we'll wrestle with some of that. But we're going to find out that whatever it's talking about, for sure, the book of Revelation discloses this great culminating crisis time. Because the end of the book is going to end in Revelation chapter 19 with the unveiling, with the disclosure, with the coming of the one who's going to take over the controls of planet Earth. The one that has the right to drive this planet forever. The one who has the right to be adored and to rule it and to use its power and its wealth forever and ever and ever. And the book of Revelation is going to unveil, going to disclose to us. And we'll be able to find out, is Buddha going to come with the stars of heaven and the clouds of heaven? Is Confucius going to return to us and prove that he was the one, the guru that had all the answers? Those are big questions. Because a lot of you are going to be among people this week that kind of think, you know, you can just decide anything you want and you kind of make up your own existence. You kind of make up what you believe. Very common belief. And what the book of Revelation is going to show us is that you don't have the right to decide who's going to ultimately rule and reign. Who's going to be the king of the universe. Who's going to rule planet Earth. Because it's already been disclosed to us. Think really deeply about our allegiance to this one. Because if it's true, If it's true that Jesus really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, then he needs to be treated like that. He needs to be honored like that in our lives. It has a lot to do with our obedience. And this book, by the power of the Spirit of God, is going to break us before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because it's going to disclose to us how in the end, when all the smoke is cleared, there's no foe, there's no enemy, there's no power that can stand in the face of this mighty Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
That's what this book is. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We're going to find out it starts out in the very first chapter saying that he is the one who holds the key of death and Hades. He's the one that decides eternal destiny. You really need to deal with that individual. Because the book closes with a great white throne judgment. And it has all those that, that, that have ever lived are evaluated by the Son of God, by Jesus Christ. And he's a decision maker on where they spend eternity. And then the book closes with a gigantic return to the garden, a great wedding supper of the Lamb, a great eternal life that lasts forever and ever. It has a new Jerusalem, a new city that comes down out of heaven. And we're going to get a picture, kind of a glimpse of where some of your loved ones are right now. Like my dad and mom are up there now. And the book of Revelation pulls back the curtain and lets us see, kind of like just with very powerful word pictures, give us a little taste of what heaven's like and what they're experiencing. That's why we need to study this book. It's like the gigantic Mississippi down by New Orleans of God's revelation where all the tributaries of prophecy have finally come together and now God gives us his final canonical inspired word to us. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it's also revealing not just Jesus Christ himself, but Jesus Christ is revealing something to us. Look what it says here. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So it's the revelation of who Jesus is and how his death is going to turn out, but it's also a revelation about what's going to happen on planet Earth in the very near future. In fact, if you look at verse 3, it comes back to this theme. It says, take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. In the introduction of the book, there's a stress on, we're going to learn what is soon going to take place. And so the focus of the book is on this cataclysmic crisis time at the end of time when all things come to a culmination, when the story comes to completion. Now that troubles me. I'll just be honest with you. Man, I heard people speaking like I'm speaking now when I was three years of age. Man, I was in a Plymouth Brethren church and we had a guy named Ernie Stonehouse that would come by and, man, he would put charts up on the wall and teach me the kind of stuff on Revelation and tell me about the coming of Christ. And, you know, that was back in the dark ages before printing and computers were developed. And now here I am. I'm still here. And you know what? To me, it hasn't happened very quickly. In fact, from a church history perspective, so you, I say, you know, man, John, you were writing in about 95 AD. You know, that's not too quick. You know, I thought this was the quick thing. You know, man, if, if that's quick, then what are we dealing with here? And it's easy to start to feel like, well, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. From God's perspective, as God thinks about time, all of history moves linearly from Adam and Eve straight through to Abraham, straight through to David, straight through to the fulfillment of God's promises and the coming of Jesus. It's like history is moving, as I've often taught you, it's like history is moving right to the edge And the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus takes place. From God's perspective of time, it's like history takes a right turn and walks right along the edge of time. And yes, we've been walking along that edge. Maybe we've been walking for 2,000 years. But I want you to know that when God chooses in his sovereign plan to say this is the culmination time, you're just a split second away from the events that a lot of this book are going to talk about. I also want you to know something else. You say, well, man, I don't really believe that. I want to tell you something you better believe. I guarantee that before I get through the book of Revelation, it's very possible, myself included, I might be walking down through the edge of my life and go, and I'm into eternity. You see, as I live today, 
A lot of the message of what Revelation talks about, it talked about the blood of the Lamb being sufficient to forgive me. It talked about Jesus being worth suffering for. It talked about those that are faithful, those who overcome, are going to be given great rewards in heaven. It says these things are going to happen quickly. And I say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Man, I'm living my life. You know, every single one of you is living your life on the edge of a cliff. Do you realize that? See, one of Satan's biggest lies is to tell me and you that we're not doing it. That's not true. We all have the idea that, well, you know, I was born and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to get down here, I'm going to get middle age and I'm going to get up here in my 80s and 90s and, and then I'll, I'll be ready to go because I can't hear or see or walk or anything else and it won't bother me too much. That's not true. That's not an objective, realistic way to look at life. The way that the Lord's ordained your life, every single one of us, as we live our life, are right on the split, the cutting edge of eternity. And the things that Revelation reveals to us could happen quickly. You could be in the presence of the Lord. You could be in the place where you need to know what's in this book. That's what Revelation is about. The revelation, the vision that John the Apostle saw was the revelation of what could quickly take place in your life and mine. Not just the coming of the Lord Jesus and the ultimate culmination of time, but also John's giving us revelation that's going to get us ready for our instantaneous presence with Jesus Christ. And I want you to be ready for that as your pastor. And I want you not to be fearful of it. I don't want you to be afraid of it. So when the angel and when the Holy Spirit, when God was telling John, I want you to write the things which are going to happen quickly, he was telling the truth. The events in this book historically, the climax of the ages, once it gets initiated, it's going to be executed swiftly. And it's going to be executed certainly, which is part of what John stressed. But also John wanted his first century readers and he wants us to realize that the eternal things he talks about could be executed in a split second of time in our own life. And he wants us prepared because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to live unrealistically. He doesn't want us to live just in terms of this present time. He wants us to get in tune and in touch with the revelation of eternity and what's going to happen and who Jesus is in that great eternal world. So... It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God has given to show His servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel. I want you to look at these two words. He wants to show His servants. The NIV in, in, in verse 1 translates that He made it known. The word there literally is He signified. It's not an English word, the word sign. But I'm going to coin an English word because I want to get something across to you. He signified it. He made it known, and I want you also to see in verse 2, who testifies to everything that he saw, that John saw. The title of this book is The Unveiling of Jesus Christ. But how is God going to unveil what's soon to take place, and how is God, what's his method he's going to use? And this is where a lot of people get confused in the book of Revelation. When I was a little kid, for example, you read Revelation 19. And you got this gigantic picture of, do you remember the picture? Jesus coming on a white horse like a great Roman conquering general. He's got his, his name on his thigh. He's got a big, the part that really troubled me, had a big double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Right in chapter 1, you're going to have a big double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And I'm scratching my head as a kid saying, all right, someday... I'm going to look up in the sky, and here it comes, you know, kind of like in the movies where the winged suntor comes forth, you know, and there is going to be Jesus. Have anybody wrestled with that? And when I look upon Jesus, I have a great big double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. 
As we go through the book, for example, in Revelation 13, there's a beast that comes up out of the sea. And so I've got this imagery of this ugly beast coming like some of the horror flicks I've seen where this horrible beast comes up with gook all over him from the bottom of the pits of the ocean. Anybody ever wrestle with that kind of thing? you got all this, this imagery going on in your head. Now, what a lot of people do is say, well, it's literally, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus, when he comes, will have a sword coming out of his mouth. And that's where a lot of misunderstanding of the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a misunderstanding of the way that John tells us that he is going to communicate his message to it. He says, I'm going to signify this to you. I'm going to picture this to you. And God even tells, Jesus tells John, I want you to write in a book what you saw. And this is a great book for the postmodern world because you all are much more into visual images than you are into verbal images. And that's why the book of Revelation is going to really connect with the younger generation because that's where you are. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? I think probably the best way I can tell you what's going to happen in this book is if you'll think in terms of political cartooning. How many of you have ever seen Uncle Sam? Anybody ever heard of John Bull? Anybody ever heard of the lion, the lion of the British Empire, the bear of Russia, the Russian bear? Anybody ever heard that expression, the Russian bear? I know one, you can all shake your hand. How many of you ever heard of the United States eagle? Okay? So the United States, you want to tell somebody what the United States is? You just take him to the zoo, show him a bald eagle, there you are, that's the United States. Is that what we're saying? You all know that's not what it's saying. You see, it's cartooning. It's cartooning. It's very visual. But it's a very powerful cartoon. What do we mean when we call the United States the eagle? It means that we're the ones that have a powerful air force. We're the ones that have powerful claws that can conquer our enemies. It means that we're the king of the birds. We're the king of the air. That's what it means. It means that we're on top of the world. We're the eagle in the world. And it's a powerful image. In fact, if you were soldiers, if you were Marines, I could take off from there. If I was getting you ready to hit some foreign beach or to get landed in Bosnia or something, then I would take a group of you of Marines and I would talk about the eagle that you represented. And I would say that we want the eagle to be proud of us. And you're going to be the claws of that eagle. And you need to hit that, that, that enemy because there's innocent people there that need you to defend them. And we're going to go in them and we're going to win. You think that wouldn't have power? Man, that eagle imagery would dominate your mind. It's one of the most powerful ways to communicate. But you understand that the United States is not an eagle. It's a word picture, powerful word picture. You all understand that. Well, the book of Revelation is spiritual, holy, Christ-revealing cartooning. And that's what I want you to start to think about. We're gonna, I, we want to try to picture these images. And we want to try to get the clues. What does the elephant represent in the Bible? It's what does the beast represent in the Bible? What does Babylon represent in the Bible? And a lot of the debate over the book of Revelation is, some people say it's all symbolic, it's all just ethereal, it's all just poetic. And then they just kind of say, well, it can mean anything we want it to mean. And that's not going to work because you know that the elephant in our culture really does mean the Republican Party and there is a Republican Party and that cartoon means something. Got it? It's not just some ethereal poetic symbol. It communicates. Same thing true in the book of Revelation. I've got some other friends that say the elephants are real. 
In other words, the cartoon, is it's a picture. It's like a videotape. That's what the late great planet Earth did. Man, what John saw was the helicopters landing and he saw all the events of modern warfare and everything else. Maybe he did, but I'm not sure that's really what the book of Revelation tells us. Because there's no way in the world that John's original audience could have ever understood this book if that were true. And they did understand it. It gave them courage. We're here today because this book gave them endurance and caused them to hang on. I just want to initiate that idea because right in chapter 1, we're going to have like a, a heavenly cartoon, a holy cartoon of Jesus. And it's going to be a powerful visual image of what Jesus is like. And we need to look at that cartoon. We need to look carefully at what this picture is that John saw so that we learn the realities that are behind that. And that's what we're going to try to do as we study the book. So the title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. How is Jesus going to reveal himself to us in a very powerful, what we would call today a very modern, postmodern way to communicate through very powerful pictures? Who's the author of the book? Well, the author is God. It says that God gave to Jesus, so Jesus is the author. We've got an angel involved here as well which is often true in this kind of literature. Remember it said in the book of Revelation that we had um, the angel that would often come to John. So we're going to have angels that give interpretation to John. We're going to find out that our own church has an angel that's watching over it. Isn't that great to know? In fact, we have a lot of angels watching us. And isn't that a great thing to know? And there's an angel, like there's an angel of the church of Ephesus. And we're going to learn what that means, what that's all about. So it says here that he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. This book was written by the most intimate, beloved disciple in Jesus' inner circle. John was the one that at the Last Supper, remember where he was lying? As they were lying together like Jewish people would do in the first century. They would lie on the floor when they were eating. And they would lie like this with their feet out. And they'd have the meal here kind of like a bunch of teenagers that were eating chips watching TV. That's the way you would eat at the Last Supper. Not like Da Vinci's picture like a European meal. And so there would be a man that would be lying right here. Nothing untoward. Nothing unseemly about it. Everyone's like this. But the person that was right here is the one that's the closest to me. That's why in the Last Supper you can have John and Peter and different ones conversing and not everyone hears. You'll understand John 14 through 17 much better if you have that picture. But John held the place right next to Jesus, right there in his, what the, like the King James says, in his bosom. That's what it means by that. He was lying right there closest to him. Why? He was Jesus' most intimate friend. He was one of the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. This is the great apostle that wrote, Let not your heart be troubled, you believed in God, believe also in me. This is the great apostle that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our son. It hath not yet appeared what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him what he is. This is the beloved disciple that gave that, those great revelations. In, in Revelation, it's like he changes gears. We're going to find that he goes into a, a spiritual visionary experience with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to portray to us in the most powerful word pictures ever written. But I don't want you to close this book. I don't want it to, to cause you to get so frustrated that you don't listen. Because this is a book that I want you to know. This is one of the books in the Bible that it promises you that if you read it, you'll be blessed. If you read it and you obey it, you'll be blessed. 
Because this is written by Jesus' most intimate disciple. It's going to unveil what the Holy Spirit, what the angels have revealed to this intimate disciple about the ultimate one that you need to know about. It's going to tell us about how all of history is going to end. That's a good news thing to find out. And that's why verse 3 says this. It says, blessed is he. That means happy. Happy, or the one who accomplishes the purpose of life that God designed for them, the one that goes straight towards that goal, the one who has fulfillment, the one whose life is together. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. In fact, the Greek text even emphasizes that reads it out loud, which is one of the things that we're going to do. When I'm teaching you, in essence, if you'll think through it, I read the book out loud to you and then give you explanation. It says, blessed are you, the individual. Blessed are we as a church if we'll do that. And blessed are those who hear it, those who take it to heart, what is written because the time is near. And so as we begin, that's the introduction of the book, verses 1 through 3. We find out it's a revelation of Jesus. It's written by the beloved disciple. It's going to unveil or disclose who our Savior is and what his plans are for the destiny of planet Earth. And we're going to find out, we're going to find happiness. You all want to be happy. And this book is going to tell us how we can find blessedness, how we can find happiness. And oh, I pray that none of you will miss it. We've had Jesus Christ unveiled, disclosed to us. Let's pray. I can't unveil... Jesus, Jesus, even though he's right here, closer than our very breath, will seem like he's very distant to those that choose to live in their pride, to those that choose to live controlled by their self. And yet I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus promises that he'll break through that pride, that he'll break through their resistance, and that he will help us to understand who he is. That he'll help us understand the things that, with his Father and with the power of the Spirit, that he has planned for this earth. What I really want to have happen, I want your Holy Spirit to reveal the Son of God to us. And Lord, it's not an issue of whether or not we believe it's all about the future, whether we believe it's all about the past, whether we believe it's all about the church history. As we go through the book, we're going to find out it's really about all of those things. It's an incredible, incredible revelation that gives us principles and ways to live that are going to control our lives till Jesus comes. And it is going to ultimately tell us about the future, but it's not just to scintillate our minds with details of prophecy. It's to cause us to get down on our knees and fall in love with the Son of God. Be obedient to Him in our businesses, in our families, in our lives, in our marriages. It's your Holy Spirit that can cause the pictures, these very powerful, holy cartoons that John uses. You can use the beautiful word pictures to change our lives because we meet Jesus and we get stability and we get understanding. The Holy Spirit is able to powerfully give us the testimony of Jesus, the Word of God, the truth about who He is and what He's done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.